0: hello this is episode 13 of back to normal today is september 4th 2020 let's get started today i want to talk about cars so not just um gas guzzling cars which i think are a little bit worse but just cars in general so personal motor vehicles as kind of the be-all and end-all of transportation. And why I think that that is not a great solution to the world's problems. Um, i not going to say it's not a solution to any of them, but it's not a be-all and end-all solution to all problems. Um, so I want to start out by just talking a little bit about my history growing up. I did not have a driver's license until I was... Oh man, I did not have a full driver's license until I think I was probably almost 25. I forget the exact, um, the exact year I got one. But in Alberta, you can get your learner's permit, your, like, first license when you turn 14. And um, so I did that. And you're supposed to have that for two years um, before you get your full driver's license, take the road test and all that stuff. And um, rather than... So by the time I got my... By the time it was time for me to get my full license... It had, the rules changed and they had moved it from 14 to 16 and then the full license from 16 to 18. So I was going to have to go, and they also introduced this graduated system. So there were, there was a two-step process for the full license. And so I needed to wait. And just the way my life was at the time, I was still living at home um, before university, before I turned 18. I didn't really need a car. I didn't really need to drive um everywhere i went i was always biking or if i could like walking taking i took the bus to school or the train um so i didn't really need a driver's license and then when i went to ottawa I like moved to ottawa lived in residence or or at least right near campus for the entire university uh like the 5 years i was in university i definitely didn't need a car so i i drove like two or three times that entire time and um Everyone else was an adult, so it didn't even matter that I didn't have my full permit because I could have driven like I drove with somebody else who was had their license for years. Um, It was kind of interesting and it ended up becoming this thing in my life that I was like, eventually I'm going to need to get this license, but I never actually wanted to do it. And um, like I said, it was about five years ago that I finally just said, okay, well, this this needs to happen. It's been too long. I went and got it. It actually took me two tries, um, which is kind of hilarious because. Like I had been a driver for 10 years. And the reason like driving tests, like everything else, are kind of political in that um, it's really unknowable how good a driver you are. All they can do, like they're measuring how well you do on the driving test. They're not measuring your actual skill as a driver. And so one of the main things that I failed on was not checking all my blind spots. Because like after you take it the first time, if you don't pass, you figure out or like they tell you. You need to check your blind spots and like if you're looking but i can't tell you're looking i can't give you the points so um i like to think i think that i was fairly i think the only thing the only other points i lost was like driving slightly too slow on the highway but it's like if i'm going 95 and it's 100 as a speed limit like i'm not risking speeding just to pass your test anyways um yeah so like i would look and check my blind spot check my mirror but I was doing it subtly because obviously you want to keep your most of your attention focused on the road. And he was like, okay, next time, just like make sure to move your head real big. Just look over here. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, so the second time I took it, I passed easily and, um, it is a very stressful thing to do. I will absolutely say that. Um, but now that I have my license and I've, I've started like, like I said, all the way through school, all the way through university, never drove always just took public transit or walked or biked um when i worked when i got to um like my job still never changed i would only i've only ever taken public transit or biked to work um obviously there there are slight exceptions like sometimes on sunday nights like once a year on sunday nights we need to go into work and work a little overtime And um, so I drive those because it's like nighttime in the dead of winter. It's February. So um, because I have a long way to go and I need to not be sweaty at the end and I don't have time for a shower, it just makes sense to drive. And so that's why that's kind of the first point I want to get into is that I'm not trying to say that cars are this horrible thing that nobody should ever use. Um, And especially in this pandemic, that's becoming more and more clear. So cars are, for what they do, they are excellent in that the goal is The goal of a car all the pro not considering any of the cons is that a car is like a little house that gets you from point a to point b in very quick time almost all the time rush hour aside you can get pretty much anywhere to pretty much anywhere in your local area so so fast and so so efficiently and like if you have more than one person you can still do it it's great if you have kids like there's safety things it's all like, really, really great for the people inside the car to get from one place to another. Um, but the cool thing during this pandemic is that while, yes, like, unless you, if you don't live downtown in a city, um, then cars are kind of necessary. They're, they're kind of amazing. And, like, they already have their own built-in disease buffer. It's like, when they say stay home, you can still go in your car. You just shouldn't go into public places when you're somewhere else um, as much as possible and but it's been really cool to see like in downtown cores or in dense um urban neighborhoods bikes have been shown are being shown to be this like great resource because it gets you out fresh air um you're not spending a lot of time near other people because you're kind of whooshing past them um it's just like bikes have become this really cool resource and like bike shops are having really hard time keeping stock i think it's really cool to see that um because i love biking and i've actually like i've got an exercise bike in my basement that i use every night now um just to get some exercise being stuck at home Um, normally at this time of year i'd be riding like an hour and a half like 45 minutes each way to and from work and um so it's nice to still have the ability i'm not getting as much exercise as i would if i was biking to work but be able to at least still get some is is really nice and I think pretty important um, in terms of not just becoming this giant blob. Um, however, given the the way that climate change is affecting us, and and I want to put a caveat here that I don't think personal vehicles absolutely add a ton of greenhouse gas to the atmosphere. but I don't think that they're actually the main source. They're not the majority of the emissions. Um, But the idea that like similar to the way that eating less meat is better for the environment i think driving less is better for the environment whether um like whether you're driving a a hummer or like some giant suv that uses a ton of gas or whether you're driving like i think a hybrid has obviously like comparatively less impact but whether you're driving like a small car or big car if you can drive less it's better and the unfortunate thing is that in most cities, um, this non-active transport, this car traffic, is being heavily prioritized. So when you see new construction projects on the in like public um, transportation corridors, I'm going to call them to not call them just roads, um, you mostly see like car and truck roads going up um, to the point that like I don't know I don't have any numbers on this, but like the vast majority of all public Funding for transportation goes towards roads, goes towards building like superhighways and adding extra lanes and all that stuff. And um, the, the the fascinating thing to me about traffic is that traffic planners, city planners, know about the concept of induced demand, which is a, a concept where when you have a road that gets a certain amount of traffic on it, um, the thing you'll tend to see is like the the busiest roads have this giant pressure of all these cars trying to go on it and so it, because everyone wants to go on that road um it kind of gets to capacity and then you get a traffic jam there and then it's very predictable you can get that same amount of traffic every day and the whole thing gets jammed up so the city planner goes ahead and says well we should add a lane to this we want to get more cars through want to get more um less traffic like less traffic jams Um, And so they double the number of lanes. They go from like, let's say two lanes to four lanes. And so the road opens up and it's bigger and it's like, wow, okay, this is great. We are moving faster. We're able to get more cars through. And so the the goal of reducing people's commutes is achieved there in that moment. Um, But what you notice with induced demand, and this is seen like across the board in every way, Um, without any kind of measures like tolls or, you know, traffic restrictions um, is that you see within a few years, inevitably, the demand and the traffic on that road at peak gets right up to peak levels in traffic per lane. So, yes, um, there is a certain um, thing to say that there's a certain point to say that more cars are making it through in a given amount of time than before but the goal is not to get more cars through the goal is to have fewer traffic jams and that is not ever achieved there's there's all kinds of things like LA traffic they have these giant massive multi-lane freeways that every t- every time a major holiday comes around you just see them packed like taillights and headlights for miles and it's it's just so obvious to me as somebody who has didn't really grow up with what i would call car culture that that's just so silly and it's actually been shown that if you do if you do take steps to calm traffic if you actually remove lanes the traffic in that corresponding area goes down because the 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 thing with induced demand is that that i did mention earlier is that having extra lanes there makes more people buy cars like that's why it's a long that's why it's a slow effect it makes more people buy cars that have to get from that point a to that point b that uses that road and over time more people want to use that bigger road but because there's no kind of mass coordination between people unless unless the government like i said sets up a toll or sets up a system like some um european cities are starting to have or i think there might be some north american ones as well that have like you can't enter a certain area or you can't use a certain road between said and said hours i think paris has a system where you're only allowed to drive based on your license plate you're only allowed to drive um one set of days or another like you're only allowed to drive 50% of the time into the downtown core Um, without those restrictions you just have um more traffic or like as much traffic as before as much of a traffic jam your commute can actually get longer correspondingly um which is just like it's fascinating to me that that's a possibility um so all that aside the induced demand is a as a kind of downside of of more cars more traffic more roads Um, prioritizing just like motor vehicle traffic is the fact that the people inside of cars on a road are not the only users of transportation they're not the only people who are on and around that road and I don't know if you've ever heard this I don't know if I need to say this for the first time to you but humans are not perfect humans are in fact terrible at keeping their attention on something and human reaction time is not zero and that all those factors combine to mean that cars kill people at just an alarming rate um it's i wouldn't say it's one of the highest it's it's far from the highest like those things like heart disease and cancer obviously kill more people per cap per capita but if you look at death tolls around the world from various things and add cars to that list like car fatalities whether it's a person inside the car or outside the car um even if you're inside the car where Car safety has been getting better and better, like seatbelts, airbags, um, all kinds of impact systems in the in the frame of the car to to reduce the impact of impacts on the passengers. Um, we're actually seeing, especially with the the kind of growth of SUVs, both in the economy and in physical size themselves, um, people outside cars are just like if you're. It's at the point now that if you're like walking beside a road or trying to cross a road or something, you're way higher risk than if you are inside a car and cars still kill an alarming amount of people, even passengers of cars die at an alarming rate, considering how safe we view them. Um, And it's my hope and expectation that at some point our society will start to see cars as this, this kind of scourge that they are and try to do their best to just not not necessarily make cars the last priority because like i said especially during a pandemic cars have their value because it's like it's a way you can get somewhere safely and especially if you have like young kids or something like that um it's it's i think a lot more necessary in places that have like are highly seasonal um, especially the winter season like in in Ottawa. again setting aside climate change um the the amount of time of the year where the ambient temperature of the air is comfortable to be in (laughs) is um shrinking and i mean it it being too hot is kind of redundant on a bike because you have like air whooshing past you and all that but um in the winter it's definitely true that most there's a lot of time that people aren't gonna be comfortable biking i will say having been a winter biker in high school um there's actually a surprising number of days where it's totally fine to bike especially in a city like ottawa where the streets are cleared um you basically only can't bike really easily on days when it is actively blizzarding um most of the time the streets are perfectly clear to be able to get around on a bike it's just it's just cold you just have to bundle it up and uh, I, expe- I accept that a lot of people don't want to do that, but that's it's a real possibility that I think people just don't see right now. And um, so to wrap this up, it's my hope that eventually, I think we're eventually going to see car culture change over time to the point that we're going to look back at, at kind of peak car traffic and peak a- car accidents and, and pedestrian fatalities um, just with horror. And I hope that, you know, self-driving systems or like or like um driving assist technologies will come in to better protect people outside the car and start mandating better safety regulations um both on roads so you know separating traffic car traffic from other kinds of um traffic like pedestrians bikes all that kind of stuff um and for the roads themselves so making it less likely that cars hit each other just through safety measures through attention measures, all that kind of stuff. There, there are things we can do, um, both physically, like in infrastructure and with technology to do that. And I, so I really, really hope that's the case. Um, I also hope we get self-driving cars that kind of take the possibility of collision out of the way, because it's really nice when you don't have to actually drive your threshold for needing to get somewhere as fast as possible goes down a lot. And so if you're not having to actually do the driving, especially if you can do things like do work while you're in a a, technically a car like a self-driving car um it takes away a lot of the the like honk honk urgency that tends to get in in um tends to get people in trouble with accidents and that kind of thing so um yeah i that that's my thought is that i really do think we're going to look back especially things like sports cars things like muscle cars we're going to look back and be like why were we doing this why did we allow that kind of culture to to coexist like it's it, Really, all you're doing by making cars like that and selling cars like that outside of like a racetrack setting um, is encouraging people to harm others that are outside of the car. So, yeah, that's that's my hope is that we we eventually start to see it that way. Hopefully, sooner rather than later. Now, that's all I've got for today. Thanks for listening. And it's Friday, so um, I'll see you tomorrow. Hopefully, with a lighter topic. Thanks for listening. Bye.